0: Quantity. Have a couple of us, have a becky, please do join us after the service. Uh, for now, would you please have your Bibles open? We're going to be working and continuing our sermon series in Colossians. And today we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which Jim read out for us earlier. Uh, but before we do this, let's open up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that we can come together as your church your body, to be able to sing songs of praises to you, and now to be able to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a church, remove any distractions that we may have during this time. Lord, help us to sit at your feet and to be able to hear from your word, to be able to grow from your word, and Lord, we do pray that you would be changing and transforming lives here today. Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I preach. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me for this task. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me now to speak clearly and to speak powerfully. And Lord, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not God. Jesus was the first created being. There was a time when he was not. There was a time. When he was not. Friends, this was the catch cry of Arius in the fourth century. Throughout the ages, there has always been a push to remove Jesus' divinity from him, to say that Jesus wasn't God. In the fourth century, it was Arius who claimed that Jesus was not God, but rather that Jesus was the first created being. Arius had, for example, quoted Colossians 1 verse 15, which is the first verse in our passage today. And he used this verse to claim that there was a time when he was not. There was a time when Jesus did not exist. This controversy involving Arius, known as the Aaron Controversy, led to the formation of the Nicene Creed. And I look forward to being able to say the Nicene Creed together, to be able to affirm what the early church did in the 4th century, affirm what we believe, and declare how we see Jesus. But today, there are still those amongst us, isn't there, who claim that Jesus isn't God. There are many cults out there, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, who claim that Jesus isn't God. There are also major religions such as Islam who say that Jesus isn't God. He was just a prophet. You and I, we can get very protective, can't we? When someone claims that Jesus isn't God, we can get on the defensive. Our Christian alarm bell rings inside our head and on the tip of our tongue, the word heresy. We are Christians. We would never, in our wildest dreams, ever fathom that Jesus wasn't God. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes in our heads, in our thoughts, in our conversations, we can sometimes minimize Jesus' divinity. I think sometimes we can emphasize the salvific work The saving work of Jesus. And sometimes forget that Jesus is also Lord. That Jesus is the ruler of all. If you actually do a quick Google search, and then you clicked on images, if you did a quick Google search of Jesus, what kind of images would you find? What would we see? Well, we would see pictures of a man on a cross. We would see pictures of a shepherd holding a little lamb Ever so tenderly, but do these pictures, would these pictures give an accurate description? Would they do justice to the description of whom we see in our passage today, of who our pass, or of what our passage, how our passage is describing Jesus? Friends, today we're continuing our sermon series on the Book of Colossians, and Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he is reminding them. Who Jesus is. Friends, the main focus of our passage seeks to answer who do we worship? Let me say that again. The main focus of our passage today seeks to answer the question who do we worship? And we'll seek to answer this question by looking at the following three points. Our point number one Jesus is our creator. Point number two Jesus is our head. And point number three, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Creator. Jesus is our Head. And Jesus is our Savior. Let's have a look at our first point together, shall we? Jesus is our Creator. And to do this, we'll be focusing on our first point, verses 15 to 17. So I already mentioned that verse 15 has been used as a proof text by some to suggest that Jesus wasn't God. It was a proof text used by Arius who said that Jesus wasn't God but there was a time when he was not. So the question we have at the moment is what does verse 15 say? Let's read together. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? Well, when we think of the word image what do we think of? Well, our mind goes back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? That we are made in God's image. We are made in His likeness. But that isn't the case here. We shouldn't be using the word likeness here for image in our passage. Think more when we think of image here. Think more of the word represents or reveals. That Jesus reveals God. That He represents God. Uh, let me give an example to flesh this out more a little bit, shall I? Uh, think of example of Elijah. Many of you might have met my son Elijah. He's up the back, and he looks a lot like me. He's made in my likeness. He looks like me. But he doesn't represent me, he doesn't reveal me, he doesn't reveal who I am. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he represents God. He reveals God. How? Because He is God. Also in regards to the concern about the firstborn of creation, what does that mean? Well, the firstborn, here in verse 15, but also in verse 18, is stressing that Jesus is the originator. He started it. He made it happen. Here also in verse 15, the word firstborn also brings out Christ's relationship towards creation. The word firstborn meant the one that he would inherit. The firstborn had claims on what belonged to the Father. So here we are told that creation was not only made by Jesus, it was made for Jesus. It was made by him and for him. So what does verse 15 tell us about Jesus? Well, he's the one who stands outside creation. He is the creator. He is God. And because Jesus is God, he is superior. He is sovereign. Have a look now at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Our friends, when it says that Jesus created things in heaven and things on earth, it's, it's two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? What we're being told here is that Jesus has not just created heaven, he's not just created earth, but he's also created everything in between. I think of the example uh, when people say, from head to toe. Are they just talking about your head? Are they just talking about your toes? Uh, no, they're talking about everything in between, aren't they also? And that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is saying here, that Jesus created everything. He created heaven, he created earth, and he created everything in between. And not only that, the words visible and invisible, Christ has also created everything we can see, but he's also created everything we can't see, the spiritual world. So when those in collars say, when those in, Colossae, when these false teachers are saying to follow angels or saying to follow these visions that they have, what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying those are created things. The spiritual realm, it's been created by Jesus. Therefore don't worship the Creator, rather worship the Creator. Let me ask at this point. Who do you worship? When you think about Jesus, do you think of him as your creator? Better yet, do you worship Jesus as your creator? The one who made you. The one who formed you. Who formed the world around us. Created everything. Friends, you worship Jesus... As God, Jesus is more than just a man on a cross. He's more than just a, la- a shepherd holding a lamb tenderly. He is more than our Savior. Who is Jesus? He's our God. He's our God whom we worship. Verse 17, that not only affirms that Jesus is the Creator but that he also holds everything together. Christ has made all things, and he sustains all things. Friends, the fact that you are breathing right now is because Christ is still working powerfully in his creation. Contrary to some views, God is not some divine watchmaker who has created the world and then just allows it to function through some sort of mechanisms He's put in place. No, our Lord Jesus, He intervenes in creation. He sends rain. He causes the sun to shine. Friends, knowing that Jesus is God, that He has created everything, He has created all things and holds all things together, should lead us to praise Him, should lead us to praise Jesus as our God. It should also comfort us that we worship the one who has made all things, and all our worship should go to him. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we shouldn't go looking for something else, should we? We've already found the proper subject of our worship, we have already found Jesus. Jesus is our creator. And yet, he is so much more than that, isn't he? Who do we worship? Well, let's move now to our second point. Point number two Jesus is our head. Here in verses 18 to 20, Paul shows us that we worship Jesus, who is also the head of the church. Let's have a look at verse 18. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Christ is the one who directs. He's the one who guides the church. Christ is our head. Jesus is our head. And just like our bodies are led by our head, so too does Jesus lead our church. Our bodies are dependent on our heads. And so too is the body of christ so too is the church dependent on jesus but the question is how did jesus become our head how did he become the one who leads the church well jesus started the church he is the firstborn of the dead jesus is the originator he is the one that first conquered death what is the hope we have friends Verse 5 of chapter 1 reminds us what our hope is. The hope that we have one day, the promises that Christ will come back. The promises that Christ will raise the dead back to life. The promises of eternal life. The promise that one day God will come again and we will dwell with Him. We will dwell with Him again in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the hope we have. And Christ has secured that hope. Jesus, the one whom we worship, is not only sovereign over heaven and earth, all that is invisible and visible, he is also sovereign over death. All that are in him are able to conquer death. Because of this, Christ has supremacy over all. We worship the one that has not only created all things, holds all things together, but we also worship the one that has conquered death. Christ is supreme over all. He is supreme over death itself. There is a saying if you cut off the head of the snake, what will happen? The body will die also. Friends, if we didn't have Christ, we would die. We are dependent on Him and the work that He has done. He is our head and we are His body. Without Him, what would happen? We would die. There would only be death. But how has Jesus done this for us? How has Jesus conquered death for us? How has Christ enabled us to be made alive? Well, this is explained for us in verses 19 to 20. Have a look with me. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 19 speaks of the incarnation that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ, the one whom we worship, Jesus, God the Son, who made the entire universe. He came and he intervened in his creation. How? by becoming man. Uh, This Christmas we will no doubt be seeing the nativity scene. A story of the virgin birth and how Emmanuel, God with us, how Jesus took on human flesh and became a man. Here in verse 19 we are told that Jesus was also fully God. When it speaks of all the fullness that was in Christ, Paul is saying to those in Colossae, uh, this Christ, this Christ, the one whom we worship, he was not only 100% man, but he was also 100% God. There is no need to go looking for God outside of Christ. Why? Because God is found fully in him. And then through becoming a man, Christ reconciled all things back to himself. Through the crucifixion. Here in verse 20, we see that it was God who did the initiating. It was God who sought out reconciliation. It was God who provided the means of restoring the relationship, to, relationship between the fallen world and himself. And how did the reconciliation take place? Well, it took place on the cross, didn't it? When Jesus paid the punishment for sin and rebellion. It is in the crucifixion where Jesus, by his blood, reconciles us back to himself. Friends, the reconciliation is also just not for fallen humanity, but it's for all. It was for all of creation, everything in heaven and everything on earth. A reconciliation, I would suggest, looks forward to the new heavens and the new earth. A reconciliation made possible through His blood shed on the cross. And then what happened after the cross? or well, the resurrection. Three days later, Christ rose from the dead. He conquered death. The firstborn from the dead and those that are reconciled to Him whom God has made peace with Will experience the resurrection. When Jesus comes back, He will raise the dead back to life, body and soul, and we will dwell again with God in the newly restored heavens and earth. So, again, let me ask at this point who is it that we worship? Who is it that you worship? Do you worship a man on a cross? Or some shepherd holding a little lamb? Or do we worship Jesus? Jesus who has done what? Jesus who has created everything. And he has made it possible for his church, those who believe in him, to conquer death. Made possible through the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our head. And our last and final point Jesus is our Savior. Point number three Jesus is our Savior. Friends, we worship someone who is loving, someone who is forgiving, the head of the church who reconciled the fallen humanity while we were still in the dominion of darkness. Verse 13 tells us that. He saved us while we were still in the dominion of darkness. What were we like in the dominion of darkness? We'll have a look at verse 21. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Before Christ reconciled us to himself, We were not living for God. We wanted nothing to do with Him. We were His enemies. We wanted to live for self. Live for sin. We gave our time. We gave our money. We gave our energy into the things of this world. Worshipping the created rather than the creator. Our entire lifestyle was to seek the things of this world rather than seeking after God. But what did Jesus do? Well, Paul reminds us here in verse 22. Have a look at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I don't know about you, friends. I don't know about you but I find all too often my sin can weigh me down. And I get these thoughts, or rather I have the devil speaking lies to me. And he's saying, Michael, you continue to sin. Do you really think that you will stand before God on judgment day without blemish? But verse 22 tells us that Christ's death has made sure that we will. Christ's death is enough. It's more than enough. Christ has reconciled us back to the Father. In His sight, we have been made holy. And our sin cannot stand compared with the saving work of Christ. Friends, I have to remind myself, and I'm reminding you here today, Christ is bigger than your sin. Let me say that again. Christ is bigger than your sin. We may think that we have done some terrible sin, but that sin is nothing for Christ. You guys remember the Apostle Paul? How did the Apostle Paul describe himself? I am the worst, the worst of sinners. Paul was one that persecuted the church. Do we really think that we have done worse than the Apostle Paul? Jesus says, Jesus tells us that the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the one that rejects the Holy Spirit. One that refuses to accept the work of Christ. Friends, how do you know that you've accepted Christ? Well, you're bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. You are being filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is transforming you. You are repenting. You are saying sorry for your sin. And you are. You are here today and you don't see Christ as your creator. You don't see Christ as your head. You don't see Christ as your Savior. If you seek the created things of this world, whether that be money, pleasure, family, work, sex, if you are living an unrepented life, if you are saying, no God, no God, not your will, but my will. If you are saying that, then let me warn you. Let me warn you. You are in danger. You are in danger of the fires of hell. If I'm speaking to you here today, I'm here to say, Stop! Stop what you're doing! You, you are in danger! Friends, you wouldn't drive downhill, downhill, uh, down a hill that would eventually come so steep. So steep that it will become almost near vertical. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because where would that lead you? Or that would lead you to death. What would you do? You would stop. And you would turn around. So I'm asking you today, if you're here today, if you are on that road to hell, I'm here to say stop. Stop what you're doing and turn around. Turn around by following Jesus, seeing him as he really is. That he is not just a man on a cross, he is not just a man holding a sheep, holding a lamb so tenderly. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the creator of the entire universe, he is the head of the church, and he is the savior. Of the world. But to the one who does see Jesus as their God, that sees Him as their Creator, sees them as their Head, sees Him as their Savior, although you sin but you repent, you're desiring to do His will, then let me comfort you with these words Your sin, your sin, is nothing for the saving work of Christ. Through his death, you have been made spotless. And no one, not even the devil's lies, not even his accusations, can hold up in God's courtroom. God has declared you spotless. And this is a promise. A promise that stands if you but remain in him. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Here in verse 23, Paul is reminding the saints in Colossae. He's reminding them, but he's also reminding us not to waver in the hope we have. He's reminding them to hold firm to Christ. Reminding ourselves how? We're reminding ourselves the gospel. He's reminding us the complete work of Christ. He's reminding us the complete work of Christ. That the gospel is God's power to save, but also God's power to mature. Remember, friends, there was a pressure on the Colossians to conform to the false teaching around them. And I think that's also happening today. And the only way that we are able to stand firm in the faith is reminding ourselves the gospel message. Reminding ourselves the gospel message we have heard. This is the same gospel message that has come to you. And today we have been reminded... Of who is it that we worship? Who do we worship? We worship Jesus. Jesus, our Creator. Jesus, our Head. And Jesus, our Savior. So, friends, how should we leave? How should we leave today having been reminded of this? Well, I have two suggestions for us. My first suggestion let's be faithful to Jesus. Be faithful by not seeking anything more than Jesus. In Him is the complete fullness of God. In Him is life. In Him is reconciliation. We don't need to go looking for something else. Because we have already been given everything for our salvation in Christ. My second suggestion. Give Jesus the proper worship due to Him. Be reminded today of the work of Jesus and let that comfort you. Let it comfort you that you are worshipping your maker, that you are worshipping the one that holds all things together. You are worshipping your Lord and Savior. Give Christ the proper worship that he deserves. How? By putting him first. Seeking him first in your work. Seeking him first in your family. Seeking him first at school. Seeking him first in all our social gatherings. Seek Christ. Worship Christ by putting him first in your life. For Jesus is more than just a man who died on a cross. He is more than just a shepherd holding a sheep ever so tenderly. Who is Jesus? our God Lord Jesus Lord we thank you so much for your work Lord we thank you for what you have done in our lives, Lord we thank you for saving us and Lord we thank you for the reminder today that you are our creator, Lord you are the head of our church who has secured for us um, life, you have conquered death for us Father, you are our saviour, and you rescued us even while we were in your enemies. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Lord, we do pray now, help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to not be looking for you outside of yourself. Lord, help us to also give you the proper worship due to you. Lord, reminding us what we have done, reminding us of your complete work.